0: Welcome to this week's episode of Crime Survivors Speak. My name is Aswat Thomas. I'm the National Director of Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice. We are a national network of 76,000 victims of crime from across the country. The Crime Survivors Speak podcast is about who victims of crime are and the safety solutions and the model programs that we, we as survivors want to see move across this country to get us towards real safety for all. I am thrilled to share this mic with our CSJ members and partners, you know, everyday people impacted by crime who are moving from healing uh, to action and winning real change for communities across the country. In today's episode, we'll talk about domestic violence and how we can better support survivors and families. Although there has been substantial progress in reducing domestic violence, for decades, millions of Americans have lived in daily, silent fear within their own homes. In addition, every year, millions of children are exposed to domestic violence. You know, domestic violence is prevalent in every community and affects everyone, regardless of age, social and economic status, sexual orientation, gender, race, and religion, or any nationality. For generations, domestic violence has been common, but very challenging to talk about. It brings up so much shame, and it's personal, and it often affects families. In fact, most people have experienced uh, domestic violence. 81 million Americans will experienced intimate partner violence or domestic violence during their lifetime. That's one in three people. An average of 20 people is physically abused by intimate partners every minute. In the United States, more than 10 million adults experience domestic violence annually. We must change that. And so I'm looking forward to today's conversation with two survivors of domestic violence to share their experiences and solutions to open up pathways to solve this issue. Kamisha Coleman from Dallas, Texas, joins me. Kamisha is an award-winning author held by her first book titled, He Loves Me Not, Buried Tears of Betrayed Love, and recently released, a new book titled Pretty On, Pretty Off. She's also an empowerment coach and self-esteem enhancement expert. Kamisha is known for working with survivors and serve as the chapter coordinator of the Dallas, Texas chapter of Crime, Survivor Safety, and Justice. Next, we have Sherry Ware from Detroit, Michigan. Sherry is the CEO and survivor advocate for Still Standing Against Domestic Violence and the Redeemed Batters Intervention Program. Still Standing is a faith-based, Christ-centered, nonprofit agency serving men, women, and children who have been impacted by domestic violence. As an advocate, Sherry provides one-to-one culturally sensitive services to men, women, and children in need. Sherry not only helps women through Still Standing, but since 2012, she also worked to redeem those responsible, as over 800 men have gone through her rehabilitation program, Redeem. So welcome, Kamisha and Sherry. Uh, so let's talk about uh, the cycle of domestic violence. Uh, Sherry, um, uh, what is domestic violence?
1: As well, thank you so much for having me. So domestic violence is a purposeful pattern of assaultive and coercive behaviors that adults and adolescents use against their intimate partners. And those can be current or former partners. And sometimes they use... Um, those behaviors against other family members, causing economic, physical, and psychological harm.
0: And Sherry, we'd love to hear more about uh, your uh, experiences. Um, So what was the impact of domestic violence on you and its effect on other crime victims who experienced it?
1: I would say that while going through domestic violence, the impact changed my life dramatically from a confident, outgoing, happy-go-lucky person to a person with low self-esteem. I became confused. I was timid, fearful, and withdrawn. I became a person who had a hard time of speaking up about what was going on within my marriage and my household. I didn't even recognize myself. I didn't know who I was. I had lost my identity. I never called the police or told my family members what was going on uh, and what was happening to me in fear of my husband going to jail and my family members um, judging me and also talking negative about him. I was terrified of what my husband would have done to me after he was released from jail. And talking with the women uh, who are in my program and also with the women who are in a domestic violence shelter in Detroit, The effect on other crime of victims are sometimes the same as what I experienced years ago. One of my clients said to me, if he comes for me, he is going to get what he came for. That I didn't understand because I would never, ever think that or try to even fight back. And what she didn't realize is that she was not only putting herself but her children in more danger with that, um, you know, was saying that we're fighting back. She didn't look at herself as a victim of domestic violence. But other uh, women in the group also, it impacted them the same way that it impacted me. Some don't talk about it. They prefer to keep um, the violence silent and hidden. Um, and they continue to live in fear because of the embarrassment and the shame. And some of them even think that they are the reason why they are in a domestic violence relationship.
0: Thank you, Sherry. Uh, uh, you know, studies suggest that there is a relationship between you know intimate partnered violence and oppression, and also suicidal behavior. Kamisha, uh, can you share your experience uh, of being a victim of domestic violence, and what was that impact of domestic violence on you and your family?
2: Well, thank you, Aswad. Um, I grew up around domestic violence, so. I experienced my mother uh, being beaten by my stepfather, uh, screaming and uh, pleading for her life. So not only was I a victim, I also witnessed my mother being abused. And it was very traumatic as a child to hear your mother scream for her life. Um, And I remember... Maybe when I was 10, waking up that morning and finding her next to the couch trembling uh, and cleaning off her face, fixing her suit. Uh, I had to become her parent. And the impact pretty much conditioned me or normalized domestic violence in a sense. Uh, I experienced teen dating violence and also domestic violence, controlling me and taking my car, uh, being scratched in in my eyes until they were bloodshot red and having to miss work because of these incidents. It was almost like you was living inside of a horror movie and you were the main character, something that you never want to be in a a horror movie. Uh, Domestic violence, caused me and my mother to have PTSD. My mother also suffered with bipolar, uh, schizophrenia, uh, which are forms of mental illnesses. Uh, Because of the lack of resources, the lack of knowledge of domestic violence and the impact of domestic violence, no one sought out, you know, there was no help. No one even thought to ask for help. Uh, to see if there were any resources available. So you step into this cycle of violence and you know that it's wrong. But even when help does show up back in the 90s, nothing was done. Uh, They just say, pack a bag and go to a friend's house. But even though I have relocated into another space, my mental and emotional state has not changed. So the impact of domestic violence is so horrific. It can transform you from a normal female woman to a mentally ill person that is unfunctionable, unable to work, unable to feed yourself, unable to pay your bills. It is that traumatic
0: domestic violence have impacted you and your family's life for decades um so you mentioned you know uh, you know these experiences that you've experienced at, at age of 10 years old and, and, and seeing your mom um, a, a survivor of domestic violence you know in pain um in hurting um with little to no uh, support um, and, and, you know, fast forward, we are in 2021 and these uh, these same uh, experiences of women uh, across the country is happening on a daily basis, especially uh, with the uh, COVID-19 uh, pandemic has also just increased uh, domestic violence uh, in, in communities. Camisha, uh, we'd love to hear from you a little bit more, you know, thinking when you were a child, also when you also went through uh, uh, your experience of being a victim of domestic violence, what was the justice system a response uh, to you and your family
2: there was no justice uh, like I mentioned before when the police sh- would show up it was pack a bag and go to a friend's house or another family member there were uh, no charges no arrest uh, and even in in a case on, on my behalf I was arrested for defending myself even though I was the one beat up uh, so We have come a long way, but we have a long way to go when it comes to domestic violence. They do not see us as uh, humans with rights. As a woman, we have rights. We're not a piece of property. Uh, Just picking up your bags does not make me feel safe and secure because, again, there is emotional, there is the mental That's also the physical abuse that takes place. And you do want some type of justice, but justice never comes. You may get a court date. You may not get a court date. But when you lay down at night and believe that you are safe, hope that you are safe in your own bed, laying next to someone that say they they love you, only to be woken up to blows to the head or being strangled. Uh, My mother was cut right above her eye, where my stepdad, he cut
0: her. Where is my justice? Thank you for sharing that, uh, Kamisha, not only just really speaking to the psychological uh, uh, effects of, of, of being a survivor of domestic, but also the physical uh, uh, effects of that, that often, um, you know, that's not a scar that just goes away. Um, you know, that, that's a scar that you live with and you have often have to see everyday uh, people uh, look in the mirror. Uh, Sherry, what about you? Um, you know, what was the justice response uh, when you were uh, a victim of, of domestic violence?
1: I am really... Um... I don't want to say surprised, but like shocked that Kamisha's response is the same as mine because there was no justice. Uh, And it was, you know, pack a bag, tell the man to pack a bag and, you know, leave for two days and cool off. Sometimes he would, sometimes he wouldn't. And then on top of that, um, we were raised that what happens in the house stays in the house. You don't go out telling anybody that, you know, your mother is being abused in the house. Um, And my mom was the same way as the victim who told me that um, if he comes for me, he's going to get exactly what he has come to get because she fought back and she did not see herself as a victim because she fought back. So we were taught not to call the police. You know, black women don't call the police on black men because we were afraid of what the police would do to that man, even though that man is almost about to kill us with his hands. And so we all, even as kids, we, I was paralyzed with fear. You know, I was always crying. I couldn't figure out why I was always such a crybaby. And it was because we, there was no help. You know, where could we go? Who could we tell? And especially if the police, who are supposed to serve and protect, didn't serve and protect, what are we to do? And so, um, you know, you couldn't tell your family and friends. You just had to be quiet. And so I think with that, um, what happens in the house stays and it happened. I learned to lie. I learned how to protect the abuser. And then also it led me to get into an abusive relationships and also an abusive marriage because of that upbringing. Um, And it just led to devastation. So no justice was served at all by the justice system.
0: Wow, and that's um, it's terrible. Um, You know, here you are, Kamisha, from Texas, and sure and you are in Michigan, and, and we'll share those same uh, experiences. And, and Kamisha, I know you work with so many survivors, not only in Texas, but across the country. You know, is that the norm, um, especially for a uh, woman of color? Is that the norm of the justice system or response to survivors uh, th- that you work with? Normally,
2: that is the norm. Uh, you have to be pretty much dying to get some type of uh, response. The catch-22, if you do call uh, Mm -hmm. and you have children, they wanna call CPS on you because uh, there is violence inside the home. So that's what is going on right now. And I I did some research on my own where this is what's happening in the uh, black and Latino uh, community versus the white Community, they're being sent over to uh, mental health counselors while our children are being taken away from us because we are involved in a domestic violence uh, situation.
0: Those are the racial disparities, right? So, Kamisha, you mentioned that, um, you know, for uh, survivors and, you know, African American, Latino women who have children in the home, we know that uh, domestic violence impacts the entire. Uh, family, right? And, and and it's consistent with all different victim experiences that often um, when we experience a uh, crime uh, and violence, the response is, is is the justice system, right? Or incarceration um, or access to services, um, right? But in our communities, when we experience those things, it, it, it's not that same response of getting uh, access to services. It's actually more punitive is what I, I heard from your community from that research uh, that you shared, um, and we know, like, you know, since the COVID pandemic, you know, that even makes it more difficult for victims to uh, seek help, you know, health systems and shelters, you know, are becoming overloaded, I, especially I continue to hear that from you, from you, Sherry, um, over the years, it's just like, you know, uh, there isn't enough beds and um, shelters um, in, in a major city like Detroit, you know, uh, you know, y'all have your own organizations where, you know, funding has been cut to organizations, which also is making it more difficult for victims to access things like medical care, uh, shelter, mental health health services, but most important, like the basic uh, needs. Uh, Sherry, I would love to hear, what do survivors need to heal um, and and recover, Sherry?
1: From just a personal standpoint, first of all, I think that um, survivors need family and friends who have empathy and compassion. Because sometimes family members get tired of, you know, listening to us, they get tired of helping us and they just get tired, but we need them to have empathy and compassion. I also um, believe that what helped me was open lines of communication. Um, Survivors need access to resources that can be drawn on uh, by a person in order to function effectively. Because when we have endured trauma, we need those resources. And when they are not available to us, it makes it so much harder for us to just function in our everyday lives. We need those resources to be without hurdles and without red tape. And most of all, survivors need community members who are aware and recognize domestic violence when it happens. When you see something, say something. Survivors need safe and affordable housing. They need to be uh, able to get out of a lease without penalty when fleeing a domestic situation. And last but not least, we need trauma recovery centers that have removed barriers to health and stability. We need it to be focused on healing communities and interrupting cycles of violence. Survivors can receive respectful, compassionate, and effective mental health and medical services. And these are the necessary services that I believe that survivors need to heal and to recover.
0: Thank you, uh, Sherry. Kamisha, uh, we'd love to uh, hear from you. Um, you you are over there uh, in, in Dallas Um, What do survivors need? Uh, And we'd also love to hear what's currently available for victims in Dallas or, you know, also what are some of the the challenges that that you see? The shelters in the community. I know I had to
2: travel uh, across town 30, 45 minutes uh, because there were no beds uh, accessible on my side of town. Going over to the north side to just to obtain shelter, counseling is very, very important. Uh, a trauma specialist inside that uh, shelter is is key. A lot of times women are getting some type of counseling, but I don't think is in-depth enough to resolve some of those psychological and mental issues going on. So mental health Substance abuse facilities in the area and those trauma uh, recovery centers are very key resources that domestic violence survivors need uh, to get the necessary help, Mm -hmm. healing, and, like she said, compassion. Um, Most of the time we are blamed for putting ourselves in a situation. No one goes out and looks at a guy and says, oh, He looks like a great woman beater. Nobody does that. He doesn't present himself as that. Taking the blame off the victim should be a part of those resources. Letting that individual know that it's not their fault. And that's a part of their recovery. Uh, So the cycle of violence stops right there. Educating that individual and their family members about relationships this is not normal. Violence is not a normal part of a healthy relationship. It doesn't make it work better.
0: I heard from the two of you um you know uh safe housing right uh transportation you know to get services. I heard uh mental health uh services, things like uh trauma. Recovery uh, centers. You know, over the past few years, there's been an increase in uh, funding for domestic violence. Um, uh, think about the VOCA increase in 2015 uh, that increased the cap from $757 million to almost $2.3 billion uh, for organizations who are uh, working with uh, survivors, especially uh, domestic violence. Uh, through the American uh, Rescue Plan, there are millions of dollars uh, coming into uh, states and communities for uh survivors. Uh, I would love to hear from the two of you, Sherry. I know you run organizations still standing against domestic violence. And Kamisha, you're on the ground working with survivors. Um, do you all think that the funding that's coming into states, are those funding uh, reaching the communities that are most harmed? Sherry, start with you.
1: As well, no, those funds are not they're not even trickling down into the underserved, to the um people who are on the margins of society. They're they are not available there. And currently in the city of Detroit, you know, we have a lot of organizations that provide domestic violence services. However, there are gaps in the system. There are also gaps and overlap with the domestic violence organizations that provide this service because we are all working in silos. And so there seems to be um, like a competition. Instead of us making room for everybody. We are competing. I have found that funding resources are difficult to obtain. And it's not because the money is not available. Because the entity that has control over the money does not see the population that I serve as victims or crime survivors, they don't see us fit to receive any of those fundings. None of the money. And their outreach and the services, they just don't reach us. Especially me, is still standing. I fund things out of my pocket, um, and the funding is just not available. And if it is available, the red tape and the restrictions that you can use that money for is so restrictive that it really does not service our survivors. We can't pay their rent. We can't pay their lights or their water bill. We can't buy their kids a pair of shoes. We can't help them to get a tire, you know, for their car. We can't help them to get coats or hats and gloves and boots because that money that is supposed to be for crime survivors, it's not available. It just has too many restrictions on what we can do with that. Now, we can get them a bus card, but we can't get them a a food, a card to go to the grocery store. So we can buy them a gas card, but most of the people that we service, they ride public transportation, so we can't get them an Uber, can't get them a taxi cab. And so it's really like pointless. If we cannot use those funds to be able to effectively and efficiently help the crime survivors, what's the point?
0: Thanks, Sharon. What about you, Kamisha? Um, you know, do, do you think the funds that are coming from the federal government and at the state level for victim service, are, are, are they reaching communities uh, in Dallas, especially communities uh, hit hard by crime and violence?
2: No as what i I talked to a lot of grassroots organizations like Sherry herself, who fund their programs out of their own pockets and really don't even waste any time even asking for the funding because the funding is not obtainable. There's like she said, so much red tape, and that was one of my situations. I didn't have time to fill out fill out paperwork. There were people who were in need. I would rather come out of come out of my pocket myself. Uh, To get the funding to help those people who wanted and needed the help instead of trying to fill out a a packet, wait for that packet to get approved. And that funding is part of the lifeline to justice. Right. If we don't get the necessary healing, the recovery, we're going to be stuck in that cycle of repeating the same relationships, engaging in violence, self-medicating to numb out and uh, escape from what we feel feel on the inside. I believe that it's set up in a way to discourage us. So those underserved communities, the, the brown and the black communities uh, do not get the help. They stay in suffering, they stay oppressed
0: yeah, and that that unaddressed trauma, right, uh, as you mentioned, uh, leads to so many other uh, health issues, um, but also, um, you know, for so many people, it, it leads them to come in contact with the justice system. I know there are so many uh, survivors uh, across the country who are just like you, who've turned, you know, your pain to power, who, you know, uh, who are survivors of domestic violence and started your own organizations and, and, and went on to, you know, have. So many amazing uh, careers. So let's talk about y'all's leadership. You both have started organizations, you know, to be a channel for solutions. Uh, Kamisha, would we'll love to hear from you. Um, you became an author. You are a self-esteem coach, an empowerment speaker. Um, how did you get started in doing that? And what have you learned uh, along the way?
2: How did I get started? I started because when I was going through my counseling sessions, I said, there are other women and teens out there just like me who need this information, who need the help. And I just wanted to share, I wanted to help. And I said that to my counselor thinking I was going to start like two, three years later. He was like, no, start now. I was like, now, you know, and I go to church that Sunday and there's a, an ad in the paper, in in the brochure, for mentors. So I started mentoring mentoring uh, unwed teens and then I moved into the domestic violence shelters and emergency crisis centers uh, mentoring uh, domestic violence survivors. Uh, and that's how I started uh, just really sharing tips, encouraging them, holding them accountable, being their support.
0: Kamisha, for years, right, um, out of your experiences and, you know, um, wanting to help other survivors, like you provided that peer-to-peer support uh, that so many survivors and, and families needed. You actually, you know, went to those shelters and and worked with teens. So you've been a victim service provider for years. Administrators who oversee uh, funding, they don't see the work that you are doing. They don't invest in the work that you're doing. And, and I think that's important. You know, there are so many people across this country who are, you know, doing such amazing work, and, and Sherry, um, you found it uh, still standing and Redeem. We'd love to hear from you um, a three-part question. Um, so how did you get started? And, and, and also what have been the barriers uh, to services and funding for small organizations like yours? And, and what have you learned uh, a- along the way?
1: Okay, well, I got started um, in 2007. Um, and the crazy thing is, is that I did not identify with being a domestic violence victim. Um, and like Kamisha said back in the '90s, you know, I thought it—you know—it wasn't called domestic violence back then. It was called a domestic dispute. It was a family thing, and so you handled it. And so I moved um, from Wichita, Kansas, to Detroit, and I started going to um, to obtain my associate's degree in criminal justice. And within that program, um, I met a lady who had a domestic violence organization. At that particular time, I was doing process serving where I was serving PPOs to people and uh, serving civil suits. And so she asked me if she could hire me to um, serve her PPOs for her clients in her organization. And so I began to do that and I began to just shadow her. And I started doing research on what domestic violence was and what it looked like. And I was floored because I was a victim and didn't even realize it. During that time that I was going to school, I met two other people who had similar backgrounds as me. One was sexual assault, the other one was sexual assault and domestic violence. And so we began to talk about, you know, helping those people who were just like us. And since we were going into criminal justice, you know, we thought, hey, you know, this is it, we can really help change people's lives. And so we all came and sat down at my dining room table, also my daughter as well, because she is a child survivor of domestic violence. And so the four of us sat at my dining room table and we came up with this plan um, that we were going to start to help victims of domestic violence. And that's what we started doing. So I started volunteering for different organizations, domestic violence organizations, just to get a feel and the education of what domestic violence was all about. Um, So I worked for the um, Goodwill Industries of Greater Detroit they didn't have any women's services there. And so the lady who I had met while I was going to school went to um, Goodwills and asked them, they have an all mens program. Why didn't they have women's services? They said, well, you know, they never had the need to. So she agreed that we would work for them for a dollar a month. You pay us a dollar a month and let us come up with a curriculum and the services for women and once that takes off, then you can start to pay us a salary and it blew up. So I became a, uh, a mentor and a coach for those women who were in domestic violence and sexual assault relationships. Also, um, we only have one domestic violence shelter in Detroit. And a lady at my church um, asked me to come there and share my testimony And I shared my testimony with the ladies who were in the shelter, and that was in 2011. And I've been going to that shelter every week uh, since 2013, providing resources for those ladies who are in the shelter. And I started what we call an aftercare program. So when those ladies come out of the shelter, then they come to the still standing organization and we provide, you know, basic needs if they need GED, if they need to learn how to build a resume. We also do a financial literacy class that's called Financial Peace University that helps them to learn how to save and budget. I've done that from 2007 until 2012, and then the Redeemed Battering Intervention Program um, was Um, (sighs) birthed. That, I was terrified. I was terrified to think that I could even begin to help men who use violence and abusive behaviors, and I almost died at the hand of a man. That was one assignment that I almost just turned my back on because of my fear. But when I decided to start doing research, I started going to conferences and it seems like emails just started popping into my email box of, you know, they're having a training over here. They're having a conference over there. So I began to walk down that journey of uh, helping men who have chosen to use violence and abusive behaviors. Uh, So I have a contract with 36 district courts. They send the majority of their men who are charged with intimate partner violence to my program. And I help them to be transformed by the renewing of their minds. I help them to relearn because we cannot unlearn the violence that we may have grown up with, that we have seen and that we have even experienced, but I can help them to relearn. I could also help them to rebuild their thought processes and to replace what they have built. Um, And so That program has really taken off. But some of the barriers that I have seen with the women on the still standing side, funding is the biggest barrier. Because like Kamisha, I'm gonna pay for it out of my pocket. I'm not going to wait for somebody to say, well, you need to fill out this, you need to apply for that. No, because by that time, that woman could be in danger and her children could be in danger too. So I'm going to fund whatever I need to fund for that lady. Now for the men there's a big stigma because these are mostly men of color and nobody wants to help men of color who use violence and or abusive behaviors. And that to me is just that is the biggest barrier that I am facing right now. And so this year I have decided that I'm going to push helping the men who use violence and abusive behaviors because we can continue to talk about domestic violence and victims of domestic violence and the cycle of domestic violence, but if we don't begin to help the men, and I'm not only just saying just men because we also have women who use force. I have a group for those women as well. But the statistics say that 95% of the people who use um, battering or violent and abusive behaviors are men. So we have to start helping the men. You know, we want to look at men and we want to say, what's wrong with you? When the question should be, what happened to you? So when I ask those men what happened to them, 90% of the men that I service are returning citizens or justice-involved men, and they are also victims of domestic abuse, sexual abuse, they grew up in alcoholic homes. They grew up in drug-ridden homes, and they have been abused. And so creating that safe space for them to be able to come in and share what happened to them, the transformation is amazing. And along the way, I have learned that we are humans, that no matter what we have done, we are not, we are not our worst mistake. And especially for men, I want them to know that they are lovable And that they are redeemable. And for women, that they are not the only ones that have gone through this. And even though me doing the work and I did not identify with being a victim and I almost died, I can understand the women because I have been there too. But to be able to talk to them and allow them to express what they have went through and how they feel about certain things, it has taught me to just be more empathetic and
0: more compassionate than I already am. Wow. And and Sherry, that is so unique, right? To hear about your organization that only work with women and and children, um, but also are working with men that have caused harm. Like for me, like that is public safety, right? That is working with um, uh, I- individuals who have caused harm, individuals who have been victimized—that is a form of public safety that we don't uh, in- invest in much across the country. So, as you know, you know there are many uh, uh, key stakeholders, you know, who are listening to this podcast. There are models, uh, proven models uh, that work. Sherry, uh, for you, you know, you work with uh, uh, survivors and you work with people who have caused harm. You know, what would a, a trauma-informed uh, justice system uh, look like to you? It would include a whole lot of training the staff to be
1: welcoming and non-judgmental and modifying physical environments to create a sense of safety to help ensure that trauma survivors benefit from judicial interventions. Treating individuals who they come in contact with with dignity and respect. That all criminal justice system professionals will be trained on how to understand trauma its effects, and the manifestations, and will approach all interactions through a trauma-informed lens. And because trauma is so prevalent, trainings that provide opportunities for all justice personnel to um, explore their own experience of trauma. Because if you can't help yourself, if you don't know the traumas that you um, have within yourself, how can you help somebody that comes before you that has traumas? So I would require that that trauma-informed justice system that every single person would go through training to experience their own experience of trauma. And that may help them to better understand their own trauma and participants' behavior. And it would also create a safe and healing environment for all. So the judges would be trauma-informed. Um, they will expect the presence of trauma and take care not to replicate it and understand that it may affect court participants' feelings and behaviors. And the trauma-informed judges, the court personnel, attorneys, court coordinators, caseworkers, and even treatment providers will ensure an individualized approach that maximizes opportunities for a positive treatment outcome. And the trauma-informed justice system, the whole goal for me will be to fully engage participants by minimizing perceived threats Avoiding re traumatization and providing resources and supporting
0: healing and recovery. Simple solutions, listening to survivors, you know, communication, um, empathy, right? But also uh, training um, for all uh, individuals in the justice system uh, and, and being trauma informed. But one thing that you, that you mentioned that I think we often um, don't hear about is, is, is providing training for people to recognize their own trauma. Um, as a key uh step cuz many of us you know many uh, judges you know uh court personnel even law enforcement have experienced trauma uh, in their life and that 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 have with unresolved um, and so providing that training, um, which will better help them um, meet the needs of survivors and getting access to services, but also preventing uh, domestic violence as well. So thank you so much, Sherry. There are so many uh, solutions, um, and, and you all are, are the experts, and, and that's who we need to be listening to, people who have experience uh, uh, being survivors, but also are, who are offering so many uh, solutions uh, you know, to help Uh, Stop the violence, Kamisha. uh, You know, for you, you know, what are the solutions to uh, end domestic violence and support survivors? What would be available um, at the community level for survivors?
2: So here in Dallas County, we currently have fifteen shelters, including the transitional uh, housing. So we definitely need more shelters. You know, we're talking about um, twenty-two thousand reported cases in Dallas County. 15 shelters is not gonna meet that demand. So we definitely need need more shelters. We need more uh, mental health providers, uh, again, in those immediate communities, underserved communities. Education is a great piece too. I know Sheree mentioned uh, training, educating not only uh, the officials, but our teachers and our uh, pastors because Again, it's happening in the home and where are the people going? They go into school and they go into church. Uh, Being able to identify that is very key. Identifying with domestic violence and having that conversation are the first steps on an individual level, getting that person to open up and say, I need help. Until we start to have those conversations in the home, at the schools, in the church, On the street, the cycle will continue. So instead of normalizing domestic violence, we need to normalize a healthy relationship. What does that look like? No one has the the right to hit you, to call you name, to demean you in any type of way speaking up and saying that you have experienced domestic violence, whether it's been a mixture of physical, mental, and emotional, or just physical. Speaking up is the first point of accountability um, and actually reporting the, the incident. Even if you don't think it's serious, you have the right to speak up. You have the right to feel safe in your own home. Not holding that person accountable gives them the okay to do it again. And we don't want that to happen. Speaking up, saying, hey, I'm a person, I have rights, I have feelings, I deserve to be here and I deserve to feel safe. So don't hesitate to stand up for what you believe in, for what you feel that is right and what is rightfully yours. And that's to feel safe
1: in your
0: own home. Sherry, what, what what would it mean to hold uh, someone
1: accountable? So you guys know that I hold the men accountable every single day that they sit before me. And so I just have a simple solution for them. So to hold them accountable would mean holding them accountable for their actions, their thoughts, their words, and their deeds towards other people that are negative or violent and or abusive. And it also involves them taking responsibility for their own actions and being able to explain why. Um, And I keep it just as simple as that. You have to be accountable for everything that you do, even your thought process. And if your thought process and your self-talk is negative, nine times out of ten, you're going to act out with negative. So you have to be accountable for that. Explain why you are behaving uh, in those
0: manners. And that's how we, you know, continue to um, uh, decrease domestic violence in communities by holding people accountable, but most importantly, ensuring survivors get access to the resources and services that they need. Um, and the, 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 both of you have worked with survivors for decades, right? You, you all talked about, um, you know, the gaps, the barriers that exist. You also offered up uh, so many uh, different uh, solutions. I would love to hear from you all and think about uh, the, the survivors and the families that you all work with. You know, what would it mean to help survivors recover? If you You could have a magic wand that exists for you to do everything that you could uh, for a survivor what would that be what services would you provide and what would be the impact uh, that will have on a survivor and family to help them recover sherry let's start with you
1: wow you're giving me that magic wand
0: (sighs) yep giving you the magic (laughs) wand
1: (laughs) that the impact of just being able to see people to live to be able to freely move about to not have to live in fear to not have to live with lack could you imagine a world where there was no violence where there were free flowing resources where people were able to access those resources when they needed and also share with others that would be like heaven it would just be a place that would be filled with love and peace and laughter where families the the man the woman the children you know, the grandmothers, the grandpas, family would be family. And you would be able to share that with your neighbors, share that with others, that we are not hurting or harming people with the words coming out of our mouth or with our hands. That
0: impact would be, it would just be amazing. What about you, Kamisha? If you had that magic wand, um, what, what, what services would you provide and what would be the impact uh, that, that would help survivors recover?
2: When it comes to recovery, I found that a lot of survivors just want to be heard. I want to get this story out. I want to talk about this pain. Uh, So when you think about recovery, again, it's having that compassion to listen and understand Uh, what this person is going through because it's hard when you mix in violence and love. It's it's a hard love story to to try to understand. But having that compassion and understanding and just allowing that person to express themselves, allow them to draw out that picture of what they went through and not be judged, not be condemned because I didn't Uh, leave the first time, it took me seven times or 17 times, allowing them to be free mentally from the bondage of domestic violence. Healing is so uh, key to the recovery, yet it is the one thing that we're missing, the healing.
0: And that's what um, you know. what, What the joys of this podcast is to help people heal right? So many people across the country, you know, who will listen to you all's story, uh, listen to you all's work. Uh, We'll be like you, Kamisha, who say, maybe I can, you know, start sharing my story and work with survivors two years from now. Uh, There are survivors who are listening, who's going to start that journey uh, uh, tomorrow. And the same for you, uh, Sherry, just, you know, think about, you know, your organization of not only working with uh, survivors, but working with people who have caused harm. When we think about, um, a safety, when we think about a community, you know, these are the things that we have. We have to listen to each other. We have to uh, ensure that there's a community that can wrap its arm uh, around each other. And when we most important, we have to invest uh, in these uh, communities. You know, we've took so many uh, billions of dollars, so many resources away from uh, communities uh, and invested more into criminal justice system that haven't made us any uh, safer. So now is, is is time to reverse that. You know, we need to take money out of the criminal justice and invest more um, in communities so all survivors can get the support and services uh, that they need to heal. But also making sure that people who have caused harm that they're receiving the mental health services, the trauma recovery services to help uh, them heal, and also getting them access to, to jobs and housing, which always, as you all know, reduce so much uh stress. Uh, that that people go through when they're not able to provide a uh, stability and safety uh, for their family, um, and you uh, know we have so many people across the country that have experienced uh, domestic violence or working to support survivors. Uh, listening to uh, today's podcast for closing remarks, uh, Kamisha and Sherry, um, Kamisha, I start with you. Is there anything that you would like to share uh, with survivors uh, that 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 may be listening? What's that one thing or two that you would like to share with survivors um, that are listening today?
2: Well, I often say that we don't have an epidemic of domestic violence. We have an epidemic of the lack of love. The love for yourself and the love for one another is the key to solving or resolving domestic violence. Once you learn how to love yourself, you can properly love someone else.
0: Love is, is, is the way to go. What about you, Sherry?
1: Um... I would uh, tell survivors that um, they are not alone and that there is help available if they want it. I would also tell those who are causing harm that they are also not alone and there is also help available if they want it.
0: Love and you're not alone, there's help available available. Um, and so many other solutions that you all shared today. So thank you so much, Kamisha and Sherry, for uh, sharing your stories and how you've channeled your pain. Uh, into power. Uh, Thank you for the work that you're doing, um, not only in your respective cities uh, and states, but also across the country as leaders uh, of crime survivors for safety and justice. Um, And thank you everyone who are tuning in, uh, listening to today's podcast. For more information about domestic violence, you can visit organizations like Still Standing Against Domestic Violence. You also can uh, uh, go to coachingbykamesha.com. You also can find more resources available um, by the National Coalition of against domestic violence at www.ncadv.org or visit the Domestic Violence uh, Hotline at www.hotline.org. If you are in immediate danger, um, please call uh, 911. For more help, you can also call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233 or you can text the word START to 887-888. And also to become a member of Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice, join our email list, visit the website at www.cssj.org, or you can text us right now by texting the word SURVIVOR to 97779. Remember, you can tune into all podcast episodes on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other streaming platforms. We are healing Uh, through action. And again, thank you, Sherry and Kamisha for joining us today because we know that when survivors speak, change happens.